Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. Uh, If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to talk this morning about um, reconciling, reconciliation. Now, the past few weeks, eight, nine weeks, however long we've been in this study on Redeemer, we have been mainly focusing on the vertical relationship. And if you can remember several weeks past, we talked about how the vertical relationship was much more important than our horizontal relationships. And that's still true, but I don't want us to take away the importance or the emphasis that we should be placing on our horizontal relationships, which is between brothers and sisters in Christ and our, honestly, our relationship with the world, um, whether they be in the fellowship or not. But Keep in mind this whole time that as we are kind of transitioning from concentrating on the vertical relationship more onto the horizontal, that that health in our horizontal relationships can only be achieved. True health in those relationships can only be achieved when the vertical relationship is healthy. Now, can you have a great marriage without Jesus Christ? Sure you can. Can you have a great friendship with someone without Jesus Christ? Absolutely you can. But you just can't have full relationships. And that's the difference because he came to give us life and life abundantly, life to the full. So what I want us to make sure that we're doing is that we are remembering that these horizontal relationships that we're we're getting ready to talk about over the next few weeks are dependent. Fullness and in health are dependent upon the vertical relationship as well. So as we turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, which my wife is already there, we know that. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, we're going to be reading verses 14 through 21. And, and before I, I read that, I, I kind of want to ask a question. Uh, how many of you, by a show of hands, I would like to see some hands, over the recent past, maybe the past year or two years, you have had a relationship that has been severed? Or something happened, some tension in a relationship where there was a friendship, something that severed, that caused some distance. Yeah, I think uh, probably most all of us have. And especially if we are in the body of Christ, if we are believers and we're in Christ Jesus, then we are called to reconcile those. We're called to restore those. And to give you a little bit of a working definition of reconcile, if you look in in the the Webster's Dictionary to the word reconcile, reconcile, it means basically to make friendly relationships or to restore friendly relations with someone. So I want to give you a biblical definition as we work with it this morning. Reconciling or reconciliation in the biblical sense means that God's wrath is no longer focused on us. We are no longer a target of God's wrath because of the sin in our life, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And the reason this happens is because when we are in Christ, we have a status change where we move from being his enemy to being his child. 
So that's what we're working with. That's the definition we're going to be working with this morning. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Some of your uh, translations may say compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray over the word this morning. Father, uh, thank you again for the opportunity uh, to be here. God, we ask that you be pleased as we read from your word this morning. We also ask that you be pleased, honored, and glorified as we move along into uh, teaching and instructing from your word. God, I pray that you open the ears of the hearers this morning, that you would touch hearts, touch lives with this word. God, I pray for me, that you would use me as a vessel, use my voice for your glory. Holy Spirit, my prayer is that you speak through me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're not going to be able really to exposit this passage of Scripture like I would kind of want to exposit it. If that was the case, then you probably should have brought a sack lunch because we would have been here for a while. But what I want to do is I want us to hit on a couple key verses and extract some biblical truth uh, and, and look at how we apply these to our lives. So we've kind of already dealt with the what of reconciliation. What is reconciliation? Well, overall, that is God restoring us to a right relationship with Him through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're going to kind of look at the why and the how also. And the how is going to come, how do we fulfill the command in this passage that we are ambassadors for Christ? He is making His appeal through us. Don't lose sight of that statement this morning. He is making His appeal through you as a believer. And He calls us ambassadors for Him, representatives for Him. But if we begin to kind of look at this passage a little bit verse by verse, we begin to understand that it's love that causes all of this. It's the love of God that compels us, that controls us. If we remove ourselves from the love of God, or if we remove that source being our source of the way that we not only relate to Him, but the way that we relate to others, then we are functioning in a fallible love. And the way that I can best express this, I think, from a biblical standpoint is when the sisters of Lazarus sent the messenger, messenger to Jesus, when the messenger arrived to him, the message, I think, was very specific because he said, Lord, the one in which you love is sick. 
think that phrasing is very important because I think that if I were the one sending the message, I'd be like, God, because I try to base it on how much I can qualify myself. If I, God, I love you so much. Uh, I love you, so please do something about this. But notice that the message was the one whom you love is sick. We need to make sure that what we're basing our lives on is the infallible, perfect love of God. And that's the place that we flow from instead of the fallible, imperfect love that we have, which is biased, which is very conditional, which is very uh, restriction-driven. But what we need to do is be based off of the love of Jesus Christ, not our love. So that's what we see in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And as we go on to verse 16, I just kind of want to maybe plant a little bit of a stake here in this passage this morning and, and begin to look at this as kind of our key passage for reconciliation. But verse 16, from now on, pause. So it's really started before this morning. But now if you're listening to this and you're here, you're online, Here's the reality. From this moment on, this is the expectation. Once you are made aware of this, once your eyes are open to this, now this is going to be the expectation of how you love. Not only your brothers and sisters in Christ, but how you love the world around you. Okay, so from now on. Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. So now I, I kind of want you to look around to the person on your left and right. Take a moment and, and, and get a good look at the person on your left and your right. You are to regard them in the Spirit. You are to regard them not according to the flesh. So what does that mean? How do we do that? Simply put, you look at everyone around you with the lens of how Jesus Christ sees them. Just going to let that one marinate for just a moment. You see everyone, not just who you want to, not just the people you see in here on Sunday mornings, not just the people that you like at your workplace, not just the family members that you are particularly drawn to, we are commanded to see everyone, regardless of history, regardless of background, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of social stature, regardless of politics, regardless of ideological ideas. You are to regard everyone through the lens of Jesus Christ. We regard no one according to the flesh which is our tendency to do, right? And here's one of the reasons that it's our tendency to do that, because regarding other people in the flesh makes us feel a whole lot better about ourselves. I really enjoy judging others' sin because it's different than my sin. Can I just say that we need to stop that? We are all flawed, fallible, sinful creatures in our flesh. And just because you sin differently than I do doesn't mean that I get the right to regard you in the flesh. But now, preacher, you don't understand. 
You know, we talked about those broken relationships or those relationships that had tension in them at the very beginning. You don't understand. That was like their fault. Like totally. Let me tell you about my victimhood. And we all have that lean, don't we? We all like playing that victim card. And and just let me tell you, in 22 years of ministry, there has never been one time that I've dealt with a situation where it's been 100% one person's fault and the other person was completely innocent. Now, it might have been 90-10. But here's the the reality of this. You can't justify your 10% of sin because of the other 90%. It's not like God's going to go, oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) Hadn't thought about that. Sin is sin. And regarding anyone in the flesh, other than the way that Jesus Christ sees them, is sin. There, I said it. Not sorry. We talked last week out of the book of Ephesians chapter 2. One of the passages in that that I really didn't spend a whole lot of time on just for the sake of time was verse 6, where it talks about that He has seated us in Christ in the heavenly places. In heavenly places, we have been seated in Christ with Him there. And out of so many things that 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 has layers to it, one of the things that I believe is truth in that this morning for us is this. We at least, as believers, have access to Jesus' perspective. How Jesus sees things, how He views things, how He views current world events, how He views people groups, how He views us, how He views your neighbor, your co-workers, your family, your church family. We at least have access to being able to see them the way that Christ sees them. Now, I will tell you, for one, am not always faithful to utilizing that access. But how do we regard others, not in the flesh, but as He regards them? Then we understand that we have His perspective and we need to see through His lens. Because when we do that, we're still living in the world. We're still here. We're still affected by things of this world, the happenings, the goings on, all of the things. We are still affected by them, but we realize that our source of hope is not in this world. Amen? Our source of hope is not in this world. And just side note, just let me say this. If the announcement of yesterday ruined your hope or increased your hope, the very foundation of it, now I'm not talking about with this standing of, hey, I'm encouraged, I'm excited, I'm not, I'm sad, I'm angry about this. I'm not talking about that. Those are emotions that we all deal with. But if your hope by the announcement of the president-elect yesterday was either At its foundational level, if it was increased or it decreased, friends, your hope is in the wrong thing. Your hope is in the wrong thing. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I believe you should be encouraged, you should be discouraged, you should be happy, you should be angry. That's not my job. But my job is to help you to remain focused on the fact that Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is and should always be our only source of foundational hope in our lives. That's where we need to flow from. That's where we need to operate from. So let's look, let's continue to look here a little bit. Verse 17. Boy, this is a popular verse, isn't it? This 517 that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
I love that. That's like one of my favorite passages. But I want us to consider this passage in context. Okay? I've, um, th- there's, there's weight to contextual meaning to a scripture. Because it's dangerous to take a text out of context and just you know, blanket apply it to everything in our lives. But what have we just talked about in verse 16 that we regard no one in the flesh, right? Because we once regarded Jesus in the flesh, but as believers, we no longer regard him in flesh any longer. We see him through his eyes. Then Paul makes that statement and he says, therefore, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things are made new. In context, this statement is being made about how you perceive other people. This statement is being made as to how you regard others. Now, it doesn't disqualify this statement from being true that we are new all the way around. I believe that's true. But as we look in context of this passage, Paul's referring to the way that you regard your fellow man, your brothers and sisters, the people you work with, the world in general, the way that you regard them has become new. Put the old things behind you, that old fleshly thing that that wanted to continue to do that. That's not who you are anymore. That's not who you are anymore. And then it goes on as we, um, verse 18, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world in himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Let's, let's have some family talk, all right? Let's have some real talk in this moment. If there is ever a time, now I can't say in human history because I've got 43 years of human history in, in my ledger, okay? That's all I can speak to. But I can tell you that in my lifetime up until this point, I don't know if there has ever been a greater need for the church and the men and women of God to truly love others the way that Christ loves them more than now. I think if there is a time that we need to be showing forth the love of Christ to be known as our message being that of reconciliation, of crying out for the lost, crying out for the hurting, crying out for the damaged, crying out for those who do not know Jesus Christ. I think if there's ever been a need, ever, now is the time. Now is the time for the church to truly represent Jesus Christ the way that this book tells us that we need to represent him. The love of Christ and the truth of God does not shrink. It does not fade back. It does not fold. But the one thing that it does not do is it does not damage. Now it can pierce. It can hurt. It can sting. But at the end, the truth will always build up when it's spoken through God's Word and through the love of Jesus Christ. So just let me say, as your pastor, if you are a part of this FCC family and your words are causing hurt and not reconciling, not crying out for those people to be reconciled to God, stop. Stop. That's not what you're called to do. It's not what any of us are called to do. Show forth the love of Christ in all situations, regard no one in the flesh, but see them as God sees them. So here's a a few of the the hows, the 
I mean, Eastern Kentucky twang does not lend well to the enunciation of that. Here is the H-O-W-S of that. John 13, Jesus makes a pretty bold statement. And we sing songs about it as we're kids. But he's talking to the disciples about the love that they have for each other. And he makes this statement that they will know that you are mine because of your... They will know we're Christians by our love. Can you say that the way that you relate to others, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ, can you honestly say that someone who does not know Jesus Christ could look upon that relationship and go, there's something different about that because I see love in between them that I don't see anywhere else. That's how, you, that's how they know that you're my disciples is how you love one another. And this is kind of part A to a message. We're going to do part B next week because I'm just I'm giving you fair warning and I'm making mental note of who all's here this morning so I know who's going to be missing next week because I told you the topic ahead of time. We're going to be talking about forgiveness next week and how we deal with that horizontally between each other. But Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount makes this statement in Matthew chapter 7 where he, I think it's verses 3 through 5, he's talking about, hey, before you go and try to remove that speck out of your brother or your sister's eye, remove the log, remove the plank of offense from yours. So basically, make sure that that plank, that log you've got in that big fat head of yours is out before you start criticizing and judging others for having a little tiny speck in theirs. Because I'm going to, and I'll unpack this much more next week, but before we can truly forgive, we have to be willing to reconcile. And reconcile doesn't always mean, hey, there was enmity between our, in our relationship, there was a distance, there was a chasm, and now we've made nice, everything's great, la, 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 we're going to skip through the tulips, okay? That doesn't always mean that. Reconciliation isn't always this great restoration where everything becomes better than what it is, but true biblical forgiveness is impossible without reconciliation being in our hearts. And I'm going to close with this this morning. So praise team, if you would, please come on back up. But Romans chapter 12. Can we just turn to Romans chapter 12 real quickly? I want to read verses 9 through 18. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Verse 18, here's the command. If possible, so far as it depends on you, 
live peaceably with all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So in this study, we have looked at being in Christ and our identity in being redeemed about being in Christ. And I mentioned this at the end of that message, but I'm going to mention it again today. I think that there's times, and now is a time, that we need to take inventory. If we're in Christ, the inventory and the question has to be asked, what is in you? Because inevitably, what is in you will come out of you. We can try to suppress it. We can try to hold it in. And some of us may do a good job for a while. But inevitably, what is in you will come out of you. And if God's Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you, then that is what the world should see. What is in you? Because that is what the world sees. Now this morning, here in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to worship God one more time. And during that time, I really want you to take some inventory of that. Let the Holy Spirit search you this morning and see what is truly making itself manifest in your life. 